Hey there, welcome to Fleet FYIs, the weekly podcast by Utilimark that reveals how you can make the most of your data for Sperner fleet management. My name is Gretchen, and every week you'll hear from me and some of the industry's finest in candid conversations that will shed some light on not only two decades worth of data insights, but some of the industry's hottest talking points and key metric analysis with the aim to help you better understand your fleet from every angle. But before we begin, if this is the first time you've heard our show, thanks for stopping by. I'm so glad you decided to come along for the ride with us. But I've got a quick favor to ask you. Once you've finished today's episode, if you could take a few minutes to leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform, we would really appreciate it. Give us a rating, five stars I hope, or tell us what you liked or leave us a comment or a question about what you've heard in today's episode. But if we haven't yet covered a topic that you're interested in hearing more about, let us know. We would be happy to go over it in detail in a later episode. If that sounds good to you, let's get back to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Fleet FYI's podcast. Today's show is part of our new series that I announced last week, which if you haven't listened to that show yet, then you absolutely should. But the new series is called Fleet FYI's Shorts. And for those of you unfamiliar with the concept of Fleet FYI's Shorts, every week, typically on Mondays, you know, today's a little bit different because obviously it's the end of the week instead of the beginning, we'll delve into one of the most asked questions swirling around the industry for that um, prior week. So whether it be an electrification, take-home vehicles, alternative fuels, data management, or cost savings, we're tackling it all, basically. So it's kind of similar to our longer episodes, just in a more bite-sized version for the road. I just got back from London, which is a city that, if you're a frequent listener of our show, you'll know that this is a city that is quickly electrifying. So in my case, it's a city that, you know, one, I love anyways, but it's also particularly fascinating for this industry. It's trains, buses, subways, vehicles alike. Everything is getting an electric makeover. And it got me thinking that in order to power all of these electric assets, of course, you need batteries. And a term that's been floating around a lot lately in the industry is lithium-ion batteries. Now, if you've heard of electric vehicles, which hopefully all of you have at this point, you'll have heard of lithium-ion batteries at some point as well. But with all of the buzz surrounding this newer type of battery technology, what I wanted to do in this episode is to dig into how they were actually made. So how exactly are lithium-ion batteries made? Well, this one's for all of my chemistry lovers out there, which I'm sure there are a few. But just to get down to the basics, lithium-ion batteries are made up of three essential components. The positive and negative electrodes, the cathode and the anode, and the chemical layer known as the electrolyte. The electrolyte is formed of salts, solvents, and additives and serves as what's called the conduit of lithium ions between the cathode and the anode. Finally, there's what's called the separator, which is the physical barrier that keeps the cathode and the anode apart. And the cathode, which is typically your lithium cobalt oxide, acts as the source of lithium ions and determines the battery's capacity and its voltage. Moving on to more of the chemistry aspect, lithium ion batteries are manufactured in sets of electrodes and then they're assembled in their respective cells. 
Active material is then mixed with polymer binders, um, conductive additives, and solvents to form what's called a slurry. For those of you that don't know, a slurry refers to a liquid-solid fluid mixture with a specific gravity that's greater than one. And the liquid usually is water. However, it could be any liquid. There's no specific rules set to that, at least I think. I'm no chemistry major, so don't quote me on that one. But it's then coated on a current collector foil, and then it's dried to remove the solvent and to create a porous electrode coating. The most common solvent of choice, which is called, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, N-methylpyrolidone, N-methylpyrolidone maybe, NMP for short for those of you that can't pronounce it like me, is considered to be a material that is needed for production, um, but it's not actually contained in the final device. The downside of this, because you know, you'd think, well, if it's not necessary, you know, in terms of being in the final device, why do you need to use it? Well, obviously it's necessary for production, but it's also quite expensive. It exhibits flammable vapors and it's highly toxic, which to some understandably can be quite off-putting, especially when taking costs and manufacturer safety into account. Now, if we go into the charging side of this, whilst they're charging, lithium ions are separated from the cathode and moved to the graphite anode where they are temporarily stored, which is what results in a charged battery. As the discharge cycle commences, this process will then reverse, understandably so. So lithium ions in the anode lose their electrons, which will cause then a current to run through the circuit and keep it powered. And at the same time, the electronless ions move through the electrolyte, returning to their place in the cathode, which then will result in a dead battery once you have all the electronless ions back in that cathode section of the battery itself. Now, a major benefit to using lithium-ion batteries over other rechargeable batteries like, uh, say, for example, nickel-cadmium or nickel-metal hydride is their ability to store a high level of energy and a relatively small amount of mass. Now, this makes them ideal for applications greater than just portable consumer electrics, so think like your smartphone or your e-readers or that sort of thing, um, but especially where you know we're looking at weight as an important consideration, like airplanes, for example. Um, you know, if we look at lithium ion batteries in general as well, they also don't suffer from a memory effect like a nickel cadmium or nickel metal hydride. Um, this can actually be extremely detrimental to nickel based batteries as it causes them to function at a lower capacity when they're only partially discharged, which no one really loves, right? So this episode might have seemed a little bit short, but you know, Fleet FY is short, so it's kind of in the name there. But tell me, before today, have you ever actually looked into exactly what a lithium-ion battery contains? Did you know how they were made? Let me know your thoughts or any questions you might have. As always, you can find me on LinkedIn by sending me an email or using the hashtag UtilamarkFleetFYIs. And remember, if you do have a burning question that you'd love to hear the answer to, if you send it my way, it just might make it into a later episode of our show. And I hope that you enjoyed the first official episode of the Fleet FYIs shorts version of Fleet FYIs. <laughs> but until next week, that's all from me. Ciao. Hey there, I think this is the time that I should cue the virtual high five because you've just finished listening to another episode of the Fleet FYI's podcast. 
If you're already wanting more content, head over to utilimark.com, which is utilimark with a C, U-T-I-L-I-M-A-R-C.com for the show notes and extra insights coming straight from our analysts to you. That's all from me this week. So until next time, I'll catch you later. 